0: Many of you are deeply concerned about the political ramifications of M&Ms if you're fat and toothless and have literally not one other thing to think about. As you know, the Mars Candy Company decided to change the look of its advertisement Spokes candies to mollify woke sensibilities after receiving a petition signed by as many as one person, who said that while he was not usually offended because he had a hard outer shell, he was soft on the inside and the old Spokes candies were so insensitive they made him feel like he was melting, although not in your hand, only in your mouth. What he was doing in your mouth, I don't want to know. In the good old days when men were men and women were small chocolate globules with an occasional peanut inside, M&Ms were represented in advertisements by lovable anthropomorphic M&Ms who made us smile and chuckle right up until the moment we devoured them, giving us the forbidden thrill of cannibalism along with cavities and a midsection that looked like an inner tube. Then the Mars Candy Company started changing the look of the M&M characters to give them and I cannot emphasize enough that I am not making this quote up, but reading it word for word off the press announcement, they wanted to give the Talking Candies, quote, more nuanced personalities to underscore the importance of self-expression and power of community through storytelling, unquote. This was widely recognized as the greatest marketing decision since the historic introduction of New Coke, on April 23, 1985, between the hours of 9 a.m. and 10.17 a.m. when the brand was discontinued because it was the worst marketing decision until the change in the M&M candies, The M&M change included making the female green M&M less sexy and more feminist by shortening her legs and replacing her high heels with sneakers, thus destroying the sexual fantasies of 12-year-old boys with deeply disturbed sexual fantasies. Mars also released a new lavender female M&M, which they said represented acceptance because she was trans and identified as a Reese's piece. This went along with a picture they had tweeted showing the brown M&M, also a female, holding hands with the green female M&M, with a caption suggesting they were lesbian lovers, thereby restoring the sick fantasies of all the 12-year-old fetishists who are into lesbian love scenes between pieces of chocolate. As a result of the lesbian M&M affair, Catholic priests have banned the candies from taking communion, except for Pope Francis, who says all M&Ms are welcome, especially when he gets the munchies after grooving on reefer. In any case, the M&M changes eventually came under attack from both the right and the left. On his Fox News show, Tucker Carlson said he was absolutely appalled that there could be a news day so incredibly slow he would wind up talking about M&Ms. Feminists, meanwhile, wanted to know why a feminist M&M could not be sexy, and so they had to have that explained to them. The resulting furor kept the nation riveted to its television sets watching something else entirely, so Mars finally decided to get rid of the M&M candies altogether by driving them out into the woods, letting them out of the truck for a cigarette break, and then mowing them down with a machine gun. Well, maybe that was a scene from The Great Escape, I'm not sure. In any case, the slaughtered M&Ms have now been replaced by actress Maya Rudolph, which has ended the controversy because right and left can all agree she's overrated as an actress and should probably just be like a spokeswoman for the idiots who make M&Ms. Now, of course... I wouldn't be telling this ridiculous story about how wokeism ruins every single thing that ever gave anyone anywhere any fun whatsoever and replaces spontaneous pleasures of even the smallest type with joyless virtue signaling that does jack diddly squat to lessen the divisions amongst us, but only exacerbates the thoroughly reasonable annoyance we feel with having supercilious moral posturing shoved down our throats like a fistful of M&Ms, except without the calories and the tooth rotting sugar... Now I can't remember where that sentence was going. Oh yeah, I wouldn't be telling the story if it didn't have a serious moral. No way, yes I would. In fact, I just did. Forget I said anything. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winning, also singing, hunky dunky Shape the world is a It's a wonderful day.
1: hooray! hooray. It makes me want to sing. Oh, hooray. hooray, oh, hooray,
0: hooray. Alright, we are back laughing our way through the fall of the Republic, fall of just about everything we hold dear. Uh, we're going to talk today about the new statue celebrating abortion in New York City. Uh, Megan Basham will be here to talk about Disney going utterly woke. And Neil McDonough, a great actor. I'm a big fan of Neil McDonough's. Uh, he's got a new movie out uh, called Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist, uh, which is a sequel. I think to this sh- I think it's a sequel to this show. <laughs> anyway, I'm really really looking forward to talking to him. Uh, this is a great time to go on YouTube and subscribe to my personal YouTube channel, the Andrew Claven YouTube channel. Not the Daily Wire one. You will get exclusive content there that only people who know me personally can see. If you don't know me, you'll just see a blank screen, but it'll still be entertaining. And if you leave a comment uh, and the comment is disreputable and bigoted and racist and sexist, uh, we'll include it on the show because it'll fit right in. Uh, today's comment comes from Jordan Tackett, 4739. So I guess there are 4,738 other Jordan Tacketts. Uh, he says all it takes is 291-year-old Andrew Claven to solve the Stephen Crowder versus Daily Wire nonsense. Thank you, Gandalf. Uh, well, thank you very much. That does. Uh, I'm I'm glad uh, a lot of people uh, responded to the show about that, and I'm glad. I'm hoping that is just going to pass away because we're not going to be talking about it anymore. Have you ever read the fine print that appears when you start browsing in incognito mode? It says that your activity might still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. To actually stop people from monitoring your online activity, you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. Think about all the times you've used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop or a hotel or even a friend's house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit can be logged by the admin of that network. That's still true even when you're in incognito mode. Your home internet provider can also see and record your browsing data. In the U.S., they're legally allowed to sell that data to advertisers. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays private. ExpressVPN works on all your devices and is super easy to use. The app literally has one button, you tap it to connect and your browsing activity is secure. Stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash clavin. Use my link at expressvpn.com slash clavin to get three extra months free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash clavin. And I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, Yes, but how do I spell Clavin? No now, one of the problems with doing a podcast on a site like The Daily Wire, which is defined by politics, is I know a lot of people want to hear about whatever's happening in the news today, whether, you know, Trump being reinstated on Facebook and Facebook lying about how they canceled him, uh, you know, the Hunter, uh, the tanks in the Ukraine, whatever else is going on in the news. And a lot of times, uh, if you really want the big picture of what's happening, if you want, really want a clear picture of what's happening, uh, you have to turn to the arts and talk about those. And that's a, a very different thing. I, I was recently on an All Access, if you're an All Access subscriber, as you should be, uh, we have these things where each of the uh, hosts comes on and talks and answers all your questions. Uh, that's what I do on my show. I think Matt Walsh does a sex show with various uh, different uh, genders. No, I make it. <laughs> I'm making that up. Uh, No, I answer all the questions. I was asked recently uh, if I thought there were still prophets in the world. And I said, no, I thought that Jesus had put an end to the age of prophecy, but that art sometimes was prophetic. Uh, You know, Ursula K. Le Guin, the great... um, science fiction writer said, when I write about the future, when she writes about the future, she's actually just writing about the present, uh, extrapolated into the future. And I think a lot of uh, artists, if they see the present clearly enough, can predict the future. I've talked about how Hamlet uh, predicts the um, uh, postmodern age, hundreds of years in the future. I've talked about how in a slightly lesser uh, scale than Shakespeare, uh, my own novel, True Crime, kind of predicted Donald Trump, simply because I observed in the present that political correctness Was meant that it was polite to lie. It was was impolite to talk about difficult truths so that only an impolite person would tell the truth. And the character in True Crime is kind of reminiscent of Donald Trump in his moral character, but also in his ability to get at the truth that nobody else wants to say. So I want to talk about some works of art today uh, that I think are explaining the news to us in a new way. And one of them is this statue uh, that was put up in New York. It's only going to be there temporarily. A lot of people didn't quite get that. Uh, it's a statue called NOW uh, that has been put up atop the state Courthouse in Manhattan, which is a beautiful Beaux Arts building, and it has around the top of the building uh, it has statues of famous lawmakers like Moses and Zoroaster, uh, Solon, you know, and uh, and so. But there's an empty spot on it because in the 1950s they had to take down the statue of Muhammad um, because uh, Muslims don't like Muhammad to be depicted. So they put up this new statue, which is called now. It made me laugh because I criticized it on Twitter, and leftists attacked me uh, for criticizing it. Uh, then they went out and tore down statues that they didn't like for political reasons. Uh, but this statue is you can see it if you're watching, it's an eight foot uh, golden statue of a female. Uh, It is meant to honor Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Bader Ginsburg, you can see the sort of doily under her chin. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg wore a doily to emphasize the fact that she was female. Uh, She wore it on her black robe to emphasize that she was female because she was only the second woman on the court. Um, And it's by um, a woman... Her name is Shaziah Sikander. She was born in Pakistan, but she's an American sculptress. She calls herself uh, a citizen of the world, uh, though uh, here's a picture of her. She's kind of a cutie pie. Uh, She calls herself a citizen of the world, but of course, there are some places in the world where if she dressed like that, she'd be flogged. So maybe she's actually just a citizen of America and doesn't want to talk about that. Uh, And she describes her statue this way. She says she is a fierce woman. Uh, and a form of resistance in a space that has historically been dominated by patriarchal representation. I'm sorry, I fell asleep in the middle of that sentence, but I'm sure you got it. Uh, She said the work was called now because it was needed now at a time when women's reproductive rights were under siege after the U.S. Supreme Court in June overturned the constitutional right to abortion. So in celebrating Ruth Bader Ginsburg, it's honoring uh, Roe v. Wade, uh, which Ruth Bader Ginsburg said was wrongly decided. But not because she didn't believe in the right to abortion, but because she said it wasn't a matter of privacy. It was a matter of equal rights. Um, So she's not this artist, by the way, is not untalented. Whatever you think of this particular (laughs) statue, Uh, she you know, here's another thing she did. It's called Marat 2. And you can see she has quite a lot of talent, actually, talented people. Uh, see things when, you know, they they take in what's happening now and they get a vision of it and they see things, whether they want to see them or not, whether they like it or not. And sometimes the art that they produce says things that they don't want to say. say. I mean, all of us, I think all artists, I'm an artist and I think all artists sometimes look at the stories we write or the paintings we paint or whatever and think, and, we'll, and learn from them. We think, gee, I didn't really know that I, that's what I saw. Uh, so I want to talk about this statue. And what I see, I see three things about it that I think are important. One, of course, is that the woman's hair, uh, I, I see more than that, but we're going to talk about three things. One of is that the woman's hair is coiled up into the horns of a goat. And the goat, of course, uh, is frequently associated with Satan uh, and demons and, and witchcraft, uh, who are, of course, also associated with the sacrifice of unbaptized children, which is, were said to uh, sacrifice unbaptized children, uh, which nowadays we sometimes call abortion. So that's very appropriate. Uh, no one really knows why goats are associated with the devil, but probably because of the the horns. Also, goats have really weird eyes if you've ever looked at them. But also because of the rampant, they symbolize rampant male sexuality, which is associated uh, in Christianity. Uh, You know, in the the pagan world, it was associated with like Dionysus and wine and all this. Uh, But in Christianity, it was associated with the devil. Uh, So you have a woman, this is a depiction, the statue of a woman enslaved to the goat Demon, uh, the male goat demon. So she has this, her head has been taken over by the horns of a goat. Uh, And you'll notice also that she doesn't have a vagina. And uh, this is not in the way the old so-called patriarchal paintings of nude women. Uh, Sometimes also uh, you couldn't see the vagina, but uh, oftentimes that was because the woman's hand in the classic statue of uh, Venus, uh, her hand was always covering herself uh, modestly. uh, And also sometimes they would just pose the figures so that even if it had been a real woman, you wouldn't see uh, that part of her body. But this is different. This is she's standing above us with her legs akimbo, essentially, her legs spread, uh, and she very much... Uh, has hasn't no reproductive or organ, so she has been literally stripped of her power to create. So this is a statue that celebrates abortion as a satanic uh, ritual that enslaves women to male sexuality and strips them of their magisterium, their their uh, central power, which is the creation of human beings and the nurturing of raising and children, which I think is an excellent uh, visionary description of abortion. So actually, this is something that a talented artist did that maybe said something that she didn't mean to say, but I think very much says it. Uh, and, and, you know, this is this is a, a true thing that feminism, uh, which begins by telling women they're going to be free uh, and that women are going to have equal Power and equal rank in the world with men ends by telling them that they are not free unless they become men, and this is where you start to get this transgender push uh, to eliminate the category of women as a natural, real category. So they're basically telling women that they will decide, the court will decide, the power will decide. We might even say the patriarchal system will decide who among them has the right to call themselves a woman. You may have heard of the story in Scotland uh, where a man who had was Uh, arrested for two rapes, uh, suddenly declared himself a woman, Uh, and wanted to be put in a woman's prison. And his wife said, you know, uh, no. uh, He he never mentioned before that he was a woman. This is just something uh, he said to BS the authorities. Uh, And there was a big uh, fuss over it. And finally, the authorities said, all right, we're not going to put her in a woman's prison. But while it was going on, J.K. Rowling, who has actually been excellent on transgenderism, she says she has many transgender friends. She is not attacking transgenderism per se. She's simply saying it does not turn you into a man in a dress does not become a woman. You know, she's she's someone who Knows a lot about magic. There is no magic in real life. It just doesn't happen. But she said a very interesting thing. She said J.K. Rowling tweeted, "Men defining what a woman is, what women should and shouldn't fear, what women should and shouldn't say, what rights women should be fine with giving up, and of course, what constitutes real misogyny. Well, get a bloody mirror. She says that's real misogyny, looking right back at you. Women feminism begins by telling women that they are going to be given equal status, and then." Ends by telling them that in order to have that equal status, they must join the powers of men. They must be strong. They must be career oriented. Uh, they must, in fact, vanish as women and lose that magisterium. So it's a, you know it's a really interesting. And the third thing, this is the third thing about the statue that I wanted to mention. It is called now. Uh, C.S. Lewis had an idea called chronological snobbery. He said it was the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate of our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that count discredited. So, and you also, I'm sure, know the famous um, quote by the philosopher George uh, Satayana, who said those who cannot remember the past are contemned to repeat it. So what we are in right now is we're in this little circle where we're repeating yesterday. And it just gets worse and worse and worse because the past has been discredited. It was racist, it was sexist, it was evil, it was patriarchal, it was all those things. Uh, And anybody who said anything good, we find out what Peccadillo has. George Washington may have given up a continent, but he owned slaves, so we can't listen to George Washington. We can't listen to any of the founders because they allowed slavery, even though they had no way of getting rid of it. It doesn't matter, so we're only locked into now, and only the wisdom of now can be heard. And if we read Shakespeare, we have to talk about his sexism. If we go to Disney World, we have to erase anything that uh, has anything to do with the past. As we'll talk to Megan about later, so you look at this statue of a dissexed woman with her head dominated by the horns of satanic male energy, and you ask yourself, why is it that feminism, which promised to make women give women power, only gives power to those women who accept and, and uh, personify the values of the patriarchy. And it's the same question as socialism, right? Why does socialism, which promises we're all going to be equal, turn us into slaves? Why did anti-racism become racism with blithering idiots at the New York Times and elsewhere screaming about whiteness as if it were a moral quality? People saying, well, whiteness is a problem. White, you know, what went not earth does that mean? You know, we we had uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones recently said, white people have to fix this problem because white people caused it. And you think like, wait a minute, not the same white people. That's like saying the Jews killed Christ. It's like saying uh, each, uh, you know, an honest black man is responsible for the crimes of a criminal black man. It's like, it is insane. It is the insanity of racism. So how does it happen? How does it happen that all of these things that promise one thing give us the exact opposite. And I think if you want to know the answer to that, you have to look at another work of art, another work of art that I came in contact with today, because it doesn't represent now. It is an excellent piece of art which represents then. And like all really good art, it's centered on the truth. It can be tough to stick to your New Year's resolution. You set out with lofty goals, stick to them for two weeks, then fall right back into your old habits. Lucky for you, I have a goal you can accomplish today. Complete your will with Epic Will. For just $119 and in as little as five minutes, Epic Will can help you create your last will and testament, living will, and even healthcare power of attorney. Their step-by-step online form makes it incredibly easy. All you need to do is fill in the blanks. 50% 50% of Americans don't have a will. Choose today to be in that smarter half. Go to epicwill.com and use promo code claven to save 10% on Epic Will's complete will package. That's epicwill.com promo code claven. And I know you're thinking, what a great deal, but I don't know how to spell claven. It's K L A V A N. There are no E's in claven. I just make it look this easy. There are no e's. So I had a moment to watch a film on Amazon Prime, and I picked this film out almost at random. It sounded kind of interesting. I had a you know a couple of hours free, which is rare for me, and I thought, well, I'll watch a movie. Uh, and this drove me insane. It, it drove me insane because if you think the more things change, the more they stay the same. We on the right are so bad about the culture. I know I've been complaining about this for 20, 25 years. This film... We should have picked this film up and banged the drum about it. We should have flocked to wherever it was playing to see it, and instead I didn't even know it existed. Uh, when I mentioned it to people, uh, Shapiro had seen it, but I don't think he promoted it. I think we should have promoted it. I did not even know it existed. It's called Mr. Jones. Uh, it's directed by a Polish lady named Agnieszka Holland. Uh, she's best known for a movie called Europa Europa, which I saw in the 90s. I thought it was one- it's a wonderful uh, true story about a Jewish boy who survived the Holocaust by masquerading as a Hitler youth. It's really good uh, and this, it was written by another lady, Andrea Shalupa, whose parents were born in Displaced Persons Camp after World War II, and she says they survived the horrors of both the Soviets and the Nazis. So I'll fall off my seat if you've ever heard of this. Maybe some of you have, but conservatives didn't uh, didn't talk about it at all. That I heard, and I do pay attention to these things. Um, it's based on a true story, also. It's and I looked up the true story and researched it, and uh, the story is. Movie-fied. It's a little bit, you know, changed for the movies, but it's true to its source material. It's a very simple story. Uh, James Norton, very good uh, British actor, uh, plays a real-life uh, journalist in the 1930s. He was a journalist in his 20s, living in the 1930s, uh, a guy named Gareth Jones. And he's working for the former Prime Minister, Lloyd George, and his kind of think tank that he's got, uh, and he has scored an interview with Hitler, and he comes back to try to warn Lord George's uh, you know, ministers about what is coming because of Hitler, uh, and they laugh him off. And here's that scene it's cut five.:
2: War begins in the minds of men. Goebbels believes the Reich will be here for a thousand years, which means they will most certainly expand to the east into Poland. The next great war, gentlemen, has already begun.
1: Herr Hitler will soon learn that there's a great deal of difference between holding a rally and running a country.
0: So they don't listen to him. He tells them the absolute truth, uh, and he loses his job. And uh, he has an idea, a very simple idea, that Stalin's Russia is making all these innovations and building up their economy and building up all these things, but the ruble is worth nothing. And so he says, well, if they're broke... If they're broke, where's the money coming from? So he travels to Moscow on the hopes of uh, scoring an interview with Stalin. And there he meets the guy who is basically running the journalistic show uh, in Washington. He was called the man, our man in Moscow, Walter Durante, who works for The New York Times and has a uh, Pulitzer Prize. And he's played by Peter Sarsgaard, who's always good, but he's absolutely terrific in this. He's the best thing in the movie by far, but he's just absolutely sensational. I'm not going to tell you this is the greatest movie ever made, but it's a very, very solid, very good, very intelligent movie. And Sarsgaard is great in it. And... Durant Duranti which is absolutely true is not only covering up for Stalin because he's a communist he is also a sexually depraved horror show he holds uh, orgies uh, where you know there's nude women shoot heroin shoot themselves up with heroin and he walks around naked uh, like the demonic goat who rules the mind of the woman on the court building in Manhattan and interestingly enough this this meld of evil philosophies like uh, like communism and sexual depravity go together a lot. I mean, it's not, it's not just a coincidence, they go together a lot. In Davos, where they just met, uh, I didn't know this. You know, Knowles just got back from Davos and I was talking to his producer, Jonathan Hay, uh, and he said that the prostitutes uh, come in, a very high priced prostitute sweep into Davos as all the elites are gathering in Davos. And I looked it up, and here's a story from the Daily Mail demand for sex work sex work, I love that, skyrockets each year at the meeting of world leaders and business tycoons who jet in from all around the world to rub shoulders with each other. Escorts are booked into the same hotels as high-powered bosses and their employees. So the same people who want to uh, dominate um humanity and tell us that we have to eat insects to keep the, you know, while they fly around their private jets, we can't use any gasoline in our Volkswagens, but they get to fly around. Same people who are doing that are also paying two to $3,000 a night for orgies. And these are the guys who tell you sex work is work, just like the women's pimps. Sex work is slavery, by the way. I don't care how much you get paid for it. Uh, I, I know quite a lot about it from doing research for one of my novels. And um, it's basically slavery. All right. So Gareth Jones, this uh, reporter, sneaks into, uh, goes into Moscow and has to sneak out of Moscow to get to what is now then called the Ukraine. And he discovers the Holodomor, which is a man-made famine uh, created by Stalin, by his uh, collectivism. He said these these farmers who own small farms are too rich and they're, you know, they're the bourgeoisie. We're going to destroy them. We're going to take their farms away. We're going to collectivize them, uh, run them uh, as collectives. And that killed... Uh, I mean, Ukraine is an incredible fertile uh, land, a breadbasket. But not only did that kill the crops, but they stole the wheat uh, to give to the elites in Moscow and took it away. And this resulted in the slaughter of no one knows how many millions of people by starvation. This was a Stalin-created starvation of between five and ten million Uh, dollars. And so this is this is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, you know, you can't even picture how many five, five, how many people five to ten million people is. Uh, it, it's the city of New York wiped out, but not just wiped out. Wiped out by slow starvation. So children are eating, you know, tree bark. They're eating people. Uh, it, it was just an absolute nightmare. There's a scene in it basically. Uh, Gareth Jones finds a group of uh, women and men trying to get their hands on something to eat. And he goes up to one of the women and he says, how did this happen? And she says, how do you think it happened? Men came and tried to change the natural law. By changing the natural law, they destroyed the breadbasket and starved millions of people, a city's worth of people, just unimaginable horror. So at the end, as he is being thrown out of Russia, Gareth Jones confronts Walter Durante, this uh, sexually depraved liar for the New York Times, and he says, here's a piece of tree bark as a souvenir. Tell me why you lied. This is cut seven. What's keeping you here lying for them?
1: You wouldn't know the first thing about how difficult it is to report from Moscow today, would you? Of course not, Just a child. Hmm. But it is not the job of a journalist to say, how dare you, sir? Hmm? You actually thought you could interview Stalin and make some kind of difference, didn't you? A
3: souvenir from my trip. Treebuck. It's all the people have left to eat. All right. (laughs)
1: My dear Mr. Jones, there comes a time in every man's life when he must choose a cause greater than himself, than all his miserable little ambitions put together. Perhaps someday you will.
0: So... And that's a, that's a, it's a wonderful scene. And Sarsgaard, as I say, as great as Walter Durante of the New York Times, Pulitzer Prize winner of the New York Times who lied and covered up the Holodomor. And even when Gareth Jones went back and reported it at the cost of being canceled, having his career stripped away. And ultimately, after the movie is over, he was murdered for it. Uh, but it, after he does that, uh, Walter Duranti goes in the New York Times and basically says, it's not true. It's not happening. He covers it up actively. The fact that the New York Times uh, has never taken away, has never returned his Pulitzer Prize, which was given for other reporting from Moscow, uh, tells you everything you need to know about the New York Times because they, too, believe in something greater than themselves. That is themselves. They believe that they supersede the natural law, that they can change the natural law by lying it out of existence. That's why they have the 1619 Project uh, that basically... Uh, Lies about the found the reasons for the founding of of America, and they are spreading that uh, to fit they're continuing Durante's dishonest work by spreading that through our school system. They tried to change the natural law. Well, this is what's happening now that men, can't become women. Men can't become women. Women can't become men. It's just the way it is. That's the natural law, that people won't work without the chance to make a fortune, that tribalism can only be rejected. Racism can only be rejected. It can't be destroyed. The New York Times still thinks, still thinks, like Walter Durante thought, that he. they can lie the natural law, the truth out of existence. And the thing is, if you're a materialist, right, like, uh, what's his name, Yuval Harari, the, who's supposed to be the great intellectual of Davos, uh, when, you, when you think that there is nothing inside material, there's only material, then there is no natural law. This is what Yuval Harari says. There's just fictions that we make up about natural rights, people having rights, about people having, uh, you know, some kind of inner world that is unchangeable, that is part of uh, creation. Matter is, ju- is not imbued with an inner nature. And that, because that's false, because it's a lie, matter, matter in fact, is just the language in which the spirit speaks. Matter tells us something about the truth. And to understand the spirit of man is to know that femininity is an embodied thing. It is an embodied thing. Women carry it within them. Each woman is, of course, an individual, but each woman carries femininity as each man carries some version of masculinity in himself, even though he's an individual. And it can't be changed by any surgery we know how to do. Uh, The natural uh, ambition can't be changed. It can only be channeled. It can only be hemmed in by values, good values and love. You can tell capitalists that they have to limit their capitalism, but you can't tell them not to strive for money and power because people will do that anyway. And power imbalances. Power imbalances will will always be there. Uh, They can't be destroyed. The power imbalances between men and women, the different kinds of power that men and women have can only be transformed by love, but they can't be eliminated. Uh, There's a a moral law. That is the natural law. There's a moral law. And when you try to rewrite it, what happens is the evil just goes someplace else. When you deny it, it just goes someplace else. So when you deny the fact that men and women are different and they have different magisteriums, different areas of power, uh, when you deny that, all you do is shift the evil around to someplace else. You just turn the evil on yourself when you Deny the fact that people have, are naturally tribalistic and racist and you don't just simply say we're not going to do the racism. We're going to not do it. If you let that racism out and think, well, I can change it. by make, it won't be racism against black people because that's wrong. It'll be racism against white people. You simply continue the evil. The devil doesn't care who does the hating as long as the hating gets done. What I'm telling you now, what I'm telling you now, as I'm sure you recognize, is the gospel of Christ. This is the gospel of Christ. The poor are always with you. Therefore, treat them with love. Women submit to your husbands, but husbands love your wives. Submit to the powers that be when they act as ministers of the loving God. Some people tell you that if you don't obey that law, you go to hell. And what I'm saying is if you don't b- obey that law, you're in hell already. Our friends at Genucel Skincare have exciting news to celebrate in 2023. They are introducing their new micro. Biome Moisturizer, which uses the power of probiotics to target skin redness, pesky wrinkles, fine lines, patchy blotches, and other signs of premature aging. These are the same probiotics that are in your yogurt. As it turns out, these super ingredients can have the same nourishing benefits on your skin as they do for your stomach. Probiotic extracts target bad bacteria and restore balance to your skin's protective barrier. Now, every GenuCell most popular package includes their new Probiotic moisturizer free with your Order. Our talent manager Tessa use. You can tell I don't use it because look at me. But Tessa uses Genucell and she is absolutely beautiful right now. You can get Genucell's most popular package for seventy percent off. Visit Genucell.com/claven and get your probiotic moisturizer today. Use code Claven at checkout for an extra ten percent off your entire purchase. That's Genucell.com/claven. Genucell.com/claven. I know, I know, you're thinking, gee, I really would like that, but I, I just don't know how to spell Claven. It's K-L-A. <laughs> there are no easy All right, I'm really happy to have Neil McDonough on today. He is, a, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. He is a really talented actor. He came to fame in uh, a Band of Brothers, which I only just saw recently. I first saw him in Justified. Uh, he now has a new movie out, uh, Left Behind, Rise of the Antichrist. Uh, it is a sequel to a film that was made quite, quite a while ago, and we'll talk to him about that and about a lot of other things. Here's a brief clip of left behind.
1: If someone had told me that millions of people were just gonna disappear, I like you would have said they were crazy. Was it the rapture? Yes, yes it was.
3: Are you sure? I mean, are are you really sure? I saw
4: it happen.
1: Those weren't vanishings.
4: It wasn't the rapture. The rapture was debunked on the first day.
1: The second wave of vanishings has thrown the financial markets back into chaos. Trust me. You want to make sure you're on the right team. You're already teaching them the art of fake news? I just wish I could see you one more time. Why are you still here? Because I asked God to leave me behind. We don't need to look for magic. They're not a bunch of religious wackos. It's wackos like my mom. Fortunately, we have a solution. We can implement Eden Pay worldwide in a matter of weeks. Welcome to the future.
0: Let me welcome uh, Neil McDonough. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me on the show. I, I really appreciate it. It's uh. <laughs> Yeah, to be on the Daily Wire and to be with you guys, it's 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 something I've been looking forward to for a while. So here we go. Let's start it up and have some, have a fun conversation.
0: Well, I am I am truly a fan. I'm not just saying that. I first noticed you on Justified, one of my uh, favorite shows, with uh, of course international stage and screen star Nick Cersei, uh and an <laughs> occasional uh, assist from Tim Oliphant. Uh, But you played you played this murderous, uh, sadistic, very smooth but very sadistic uh, killer. And if I may say so, you have one of the cruelest faces I've ever uh, I've ever seen. And I was absolutely shocked when I started to read about you and uh, and find out that you are a Christian uh, who refuses even to do kissing scenes on screen. Is that is that true?
1: Yeah, that that is true. And everyone, you know, it was funny. It was justified. That was kind of like my big comeback role where. You know, I was uh, fired from a show because I wouldn't do certain things. And everyone thought it's because I'm this religious zealot. And, you know, obviously I'm a very religious guy, but I just love my wife. You know, I love my craft. I love working. I love, but I, but I love my wife, and my family that much more. So I was never just comfortable with it. And uh, there are plenty of guys who are. So, and I, that, my hat's off to you for, for doing it. But for, for me, it's uh, it's just something that I was never very comfortable with and after about two years of suffering and not being able to work and kind of losing everything my house my car is my you know yeah kind of just really taking it hard i remember that this one day i i said god why have you forgotten about me and then as soon as i said that i kind of crumbled to my knees and realized what an idiot i was for saying something like that because he gave me so much and it was i think it was his test to me to make me realize how much i have in my life and sometimes you need to sit back every once in a while and look at what you do have and appreciate it, what you do have. And, um, and that was that moment. And then 10 seconds later, Graham Yost calls and said, do you want to be the villain on justified this year? So be careful what you ask for in life because he's always listening and he's always watching. So, um, (laughs) look, you know, after a hundred and 150 movies and TV shows and five kids and a fantastic wife, and now we're producing our own films. And Uh, it it was, it was one of those things in my life where I was in the career for about 10 or 15 years, everything was going so well, but I think I just started taking it for granted a little bit. And I think he just probably wanted me to really realize how much he did give me and is giving me. And that's where I'm at today. And I'm just blessed beyond belief to have what I do have. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty fantastic.
0: So just the fact that you wouldn't do sex scenes essentially meant that your entire career vanished.
1: Yeah, I mean, there were, there were, there were two things that, that really happened. I think during that time, I also kind of, as we all do, lean on a crutch. And for me, it was just leaning on, you know, alcohol and, and trying to just drown myself and trying to figure out why the heck my life is, is going this way. And, and it turned out to be the greatest thing that ever happened to me. And then, you know, with my wife, Rave, kind of coaching me, I always, I always say I can go through life with one hand tied behind my back as long as that hand is being held by my wife, Rave. Uh, and she helped me realize that, you know, alcohol wasn't the right thing for me and that by giving up alcohol and uh, really focusing on my career as a, as a man, as an actor, as a father, as a husband, all these things. Holy cow. Every, you look at the last seven years of my career compared to the seven years beforehand. Now I'm writing and producing my own films with my partner, Derek Presley, and Rave and I are raising our own finances to tell films that we want to tell you know, films that reach out to the heartland of America, films that, that reach out to people who want to watch uh, the bad guys take it in the end and the good guys who have their flaws get through their problems like all of us and figure out how to stand up to what is right. And I get to make those films now and write those films and produce those films and, and, and put content out there that my family can be proud of to watch. Man, uh, I'm the most blessed guy in Hollywood, and, that, and that's for sure. So um, and it's it, um yeah, that's where I'm at in my career right now. It's pretty great.
0: You know, it's, it's really interesting that you don't want to do uh, sex scenes, but but you don't mind playing... Have how good-looking
1: my wife is? I mean, why? I mean, we <laughs> I mean, just like kid ourselves.
0: <laughs> no, it's like, well, yeah, it's like Paul Newman said, why go out for a burger when you got steak, you at, home? steak at home? I use
1: that one all the time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, but the thing is, but you don't mind playing an, an evildoer like you did in Justified, um, so talk a little bit about the the new film, Left Behind, uh, Rise of the Antichrist, where it seems like you're playing a fairly sinister character.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, playing villains for me is kind of make-believe. So when I'm on set and when I'm uh, doing these things, you know, like especially some of the things during Justified, where they would be there on set and we'd just be laughing at, at everything that's going on um, because it's just so absurd. And then finally, when we got home, this one episode, uh, we watched an episode and this is one of the last times I've actually sat down in front of a television and watched what I do because I, I, I kind of scare myself at time, uh, and it scared Brevet. And, and she, you know, it took her a few days and she finally told me why she was upset. She goes, what were you thinking when, when you were doing that scene? And I keep my choices really simple. Uh, and by keeping them so simple, like it, 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 it makes it almost like I'm the guy next door, which makes it really scary. Hmm. So I have to provide for my wife and my five kids and and make a career of something that I love doing. So my choice was, okay, I'm either going to be in the middle of, of battlefield as a battlefield as a soldier or I'm going to be the villain. I'm going to be the best villain out there. And uh, now finally I get to produce our own films and I get to play the heroes, which is what I've always wanted to do, but really didn't have the opportunity to do so because of obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. But to work with Kevin Sorbo, I gotta tell you this, there are few guys doing Band of Brothers, Dick Winters was always the guy who led from the front. And so many productions I've been part of, the leaders lead from the from the rear, and it doesn't really work so well. Kevin Sorbro is that guy. He's leading from the front. He is, you know, kind of like what, what Kevin Costner is. It's that same feeling of I'm prepared. I know my stuff. Let's go have a great day of work. Let's give him some honor and let's do the right thing. And I, I, I love working with Kevin because he's that guy. And, and when you see the film, and I've seen clips of it, it's it's filmed so well, it's shot so well, because he makes everyone on the crew feel like there's a common goal of doing something great. And I think that's what we did on this film.
0: You know, I'm a big uh, Kevin Sorbo fan, both professionally, but also pro- he's just one of the nicest people. Uh, he yeah. and his wife both, they're, they're absolutely lovely people. He's one of the most hated people on Twitter. I never <laughs> mention him that. without... Not me either. I, I just you can't find a,
1: a nicer human being than Kevin Sorbo. Yeah. I mean, you really yeah. can And then, great golf swing too, by the way.
0: Oh, really? All right. Well, I, I, really really I'm, I'm, okay, I was now actually I hoping, hoping you would tell me something. <laughs> I, was, I was actually hoping you'd tell me something bad about him, so I could. Uh, um, um, what, what is What is the story of Left Behind? The, the rise of the Antichrist.
1: I'm not who really who are sure. It? I'm not really <laughs> sure what I'm allowed to say. Oh, okay. Coming right. out, uh, but I'll tell you this: it's filmed so well. Uh, it's got a great message. It's a film that the masses can watch and think. What, what I love about certain types of films is that it, it makes you think, you can go as dark as you want in a film. You can go as light as you want in a film. It doesn't matter really. It's, if it's done really well. And if for me, if there's a moral play going on, that makes you think, hmm, after watching that film, maybe I can be a little bit better as a husband. Maybe I can be a little bit better of a worker. Maybe I can be a little better as a dad. Maybe I can be, be a little better, if he got over it, Maybe I can get over that thing. she got over it, maybe I, you know, so those are the films that I've I've always liked. Um, You go way back, one of my favorite films of all time was the French connection. Popeye Doyle was such a mess of a human being, but by the end, he figured out how to get it done. You know, you go back to Dirty Harry, it's the same kind of thing where all these, these characters are just kind of have their flaws, but at the end, they're the only ones who can stand up to whatever is going on and, I've always loved those characters. Just for the last 15 years, I had to play the other side of the spectrum, playing the, the villainous side. Now I get to play the heroic side, which to me is something that I'm finally, you know, I'm in the spot where I'm exactly supposed to be. And, mm. you know, he has put me in the spot for a reason. And I'm not I'm not going to ever take it for granted. I'm never going to just kind of, you know, I've never been a guy who mails it in. My dad said, when you go to Hollywood, if they give you a dollar, give him $2 worth of effort. And that's what I pride myself on. And my kids are the same way, and uh, Reveille is the same way. So at the McDonough Company, which we started a few years back, those are the films and TV shows that we aspire to do and are going to keep on making, because I know the heartland of America doesn't really get the entertainment that they always want. And, you know, that's the entertainment that we're trying to make.
0: So is is your company going to concentrate on Christian content specifically, or is it just going to be... Not, uh,
1: not, not Christian content. There's this one quote and <laughs> a friend of mine sent to me the other day. Uh, it's Psalm 133. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And I think what we do as followers of God, we, we sometimes forget there are all kinds of followers of God you know there are there are jews there are muslims there are agnostics there are buddhists there are daoists there's, there's all kinds of people across this planet but we're all god's children and if we all treat each other as brothers and sisters if we unify each other as us not pieces then the world is a whole lot better place so for us the, in the films that we try to make we try to talk to everybody we don't try to just talk to one group we try to talk to everyone and say look god's got your back you just have to give over to him and have faith in him. He will always be there for you. You can always lean on him, even it, how when times are really tough and you're going through very difficult things in your life. If you just give over to him, great things will come out of it. And we're here for a short amount of time. But what we're promising is eternity if we do the right things. And I think those, again, those those are the, the templates of the films, the TV shows that we really strive to make because everyone's out there looking for entertainment to make them better, right? Not worse. And uh,
0: let me ask you let me ask you a question about this because this I I had a, a week this week where I talked to several artists uh, who had been canceled. Basically, one of them a very talented painter I've had on my show Arthur Kwan Lee uh, who t- paints biblical scenes uh, but was uh, caught out uh, you know uh, driving while conservative, essentially, uh, and lost all his galleries in New York. Another guy, Clifton Duncan, uh, who we've had on the show as well, was a Broadway star uh, uh, doing really well on Broadway and uh, um, was thrown out because he wouldn't take vaccines. Y- you were thrown out. You were canceled because of your uh, Christian stance. I was canceled in Hollywood because of my conservative stance. What do you say to people like that when they come to you and they say, I, we can't work. We we don't know what to, you know, where, what if, what if a guy came to you at the start of his career, what would you tell him? Uh, how would you tell him to proceed?
1: Your career is, you know, what you do for your living is, is, is great. That's, it's important to all of us, whether you're a plumber, whether you're a painter, whether you're an actor, whether you're a fireman, whether you, you know, whatever, elected official, that's just your job, isn't it? So, to aspire to be the best human being you can be is what you should always strive to do. And we're all flawed. We all are sinners. We all make mistakes every single day, but it's how you get up the next day and dust yourself off that makes you a child of God. Right? So when people ask me that question, what, what's your tip if you have, you know, faith in how to, how to navigate that towards in through a business where that really isn't always kind of looked upon. Well, I say, well, What are you supposed to do you're supposed to be on that path you're supposed to always try to do the right thing for humanity and sometimes they'll they'll take you down sometimes they'll crucify you i've been cancelled you know all that stuff and i'm I'm still the exact same guy i was back then i think now i'm just a little more appreciative and and sometimes Mm -hmm. it takes carrying that cross to make you realize how fortunate you are and what an amazing world this is and that we should love and honor our brothers and sisters with all of our hearts and all of our souls and not fight so much and not desire for so much. It was, you know, I was listening to a a quote uh, that Charlie Munger was saying, uh, Warren Buffett's partner. It was really interesting. He said, greed isn't the worst thing in the world. Greed for happiness, greed for your wife, greed for being the best person you can be. To to, to want that to be in your bloodstream wholeheartedly 24-7 is not a bad thing. It's the envy that kills the fabric of America. It's envying your neighbors. It's envying their stuff. It's envying, wow, they have that nice car. They have that nice thing. Why can't I have that? And then you start taking people down because they've been successful at certain things. They might try to take down Kevin Sorbo for certain things, as you were saying. You can't listen to jealousy. You can't listen to hatred. You can't listen to any of that stuff. All you can listen to, really, is what he has out there for you and how you deal with it. The plate that is in front of you, what are you going to do with it? And, and that's what you're supposed to do as, as a man or a woman. And so when they say, you know, how do you navigate it, you know, having faith in your business? Well, I think it's going pretty well, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I can't imagine 30 years ago when I left Cape Cod, Massachusetts, that I'd be writing, producing, starring in films with the most amazing wife and have these five kids and have this life that I have. Um, there are bumps along the road and those bumps you have to look back at and think, thank goodness for those bumps. Cause it made me appreciate what I have. And uh, I'm, I'm the most blessed guy that I know because of, of all the bumps that I have taken it makes me truly appreciate <laughs> what I have now. And it's, that, that's where I'm at.
0: All right. I got to stop there. It is really great talking to you. You're a real talent and please come back when one of your films comes out and we'll talk again.
1: Absolutely. We'll, we'll, we'll see, we'll see you in the next one. Thank you so much for having me on. God bless you. Again.
0: Neil McDonough. Thanks very much. Thanks. Thank you. All right, now let's talk about the news. Now that we've talked about what the arts tell us about the news, let's talk about the news. Uh, you know, there's one more, uh, actually one more great work of art that predicted the future that has gone with the wind, uh, where they showed you uh, Atlanta being burned in the South by the Yankees as uh, Rhett Butler tried to escape with Melanie and her newborn baby. Here's just a little sh- clip of that. It's cut eight. Haven't left much for
1: the Yankees to take, have huh?
0: We'll have to make a dash for it before the fire reaches that ammunition. So Atlanta is burned by the Yankees. At least back then, the Yankees... Uh, had a point But uh, in Atlanta, it is burning now or has been burning now. And you may not have heard about it because the news, the the media is covering it up. And when they're not covering it up, uh, they are misselling selling it. Uh, What happened is uh, that they're trying to build an Atlanta public safety training center in a wooded area, uh, a training site for law enforcement and first responders. It's been nicknamed Cop City. Antifa and other leftist groups uh, moved in to protest this, and they declared an autonomous zone. Uh, The state. Police went in to clean them out, and a man named Manuel Tehran of Tallahassee, Florida, uh, shot and severely injured a Georgia State Patrol trooper. The cops returned fire, and poor uh, Manuel was shot and killed. I'll leave a space here for a moment of silence. All right, now let's move on. Uh, the protesters said that no, he didn't shoot the police, but now the evidence has been gathered and released to the public, uh, and it is clear that he, this guy did shoot at the cops, and he was, it was a fair uh, return of fire. Now, uh, finally, Governor Brian Kemp. Uh, has declared a temporary state of emergency, which means that he can activate a uh, thousand Georgia National Guard troops and in response and put this uh, fire out. Uh, uh, it's been it, the place has been burning. Now, who is burning Atlanta? OK, I just, this is the this is the thing here. What. Bunch of people were arrested. Six people were arrested, but here are some of them. Francis Carroll, twenty-two, he's the son of a yacht sailing, he's white, he's the son of a yacht sailing multimillionaire family. Uh, hails from the wealthy main city of Kenny Bunkport, so he lives next to George W. Bush. Uh Madeline uh Who calls herself Henri Fiola, uh, 22. She's a trans non binary activist, also, I believe, white, uh, an alumna of Oberlin College, where she studied, uh, uh, or he's, yeah, she studied archaeological studies with a focus on decolonization. Emily Catherine Murphy, 37, of Michigan. So, in other words, it's white people from the North coming down uh, and deciding that the places that need police the most shouldn't have. These police, uh, the nearby, the guy who runs the nearby homeowners' association, who I mention only because it fits in with the story, is is a a black guy. Is saying this is a terrible thing. The police should have cleared these things out uh, long ago. CBS buried the story. ABC and NBC did cover it, but see if you can tell what's missing from ABC's uh, coverage. This is cut ten.
4: Overnight chaos erupting in downtown Atlanta firecrackers set ablaze this police car in flames. police arresting six people the protest against a new police training center and the killing of an environmental activist started peacefully but took a turn when some rioters smashed windows and set a cruiser on
1: fire
0: so it, it was a peaceful demonstration, but it took a turn when some rioters, uh, and they never mentioned leftism, they never mentioned Antifa. Antifa is a fascist organization, by the way. The FA in Antifa stands for fascism, and the anti stands for nothing. Uh, they are just a bunch of black-shirted uh, thugs uh, who burn buildings and who are— this was very organized. This was a very organized attack. They used a banner to cover up the guys who were—, um, who were Throwing rocks and throwing bombs and burned a police car and all these things. Uh, So that's that's one place where the press has been lying and covering up. And another uh, is in what's happening in Congress. Kevin McCarthy who's now Speaker of the House, Republican Speaker of the House, has been doing a good job. Uh, A lot of people don't like a lot of people don't like the Speaker of the House because he's an institutional man and the people on the right tend to be purists. There's a lot of purists in the, on the conservative base and if he's not being a purist, they they hammer him. Uh, Paul Ryan, I always thought was a really good person who actually did uh, something that no one had done before, which is he stood up against the entitlements that have bankrupted the country. That's called the third rail of politics because everybody who steps in it gets destroyed and instead of backing him, conservatives ganged up on him uh, and, and beat the living hell out of him. Uh, Philosophically, uh, because he didn't, he wasn't hard on immigration. Uh, so you know, instead of just disagreeing with him there and saying yes, but he's doing good work here, they just made it impossible for him to do anything. And once Trump came in, he left. Uh, and the Trumpies hated him, but he actually was a, a truly conservative uh, person. And I think uh, it was they were wrong. To do that. But so the Speaker of the House is always unpopular. And sometimes he's also sometimes these guys are are cynical. You know, they're cynical people. But so far, Kevin McCarthy is doing a good job. And he barred uh, Adam Schiff and Eric Swalwell from the Intelligence Committee. And the press came after him. They were screaming at him. And here's McCarthy standing up to and explaining why Schiff has been barred. This is cut 12. The Intel Committee is different. You know why? Because what happens in the Intel Committee, you don't know. What happens in the Intel Committee, although the secrets are going on in the world, other members of Congress don't know. What did Adam Schiff do as the chairman of the Intel Committee? What Adam Schiff did, use his power as a chairman and lie to the American public. Even the inspector general said it. When Devin Nunes put out a memo, he said it was false. When we had a laptop he used it before an election to be politics and say that it was false and said it was the Russians. When he knew different, when he knew the intel. So here's how this was reported in the news, cut 13.
4: We suspect the real reason Republicans are going after Mr. Schiff is that he has been so effective. In a contentious exchange with reporters Tuesday night, McCarthy said it was a matter of national security, falsely accusing Schiff of lies about Donald Trump.
0: Here's Schiff, what he actually did, like McCarthy says, cut 14.
3: The reality is that there is ample evidence of collusion in plain sight. Adam Schiff, the top Democrat, saying there is significant evidence of collusion. There's ample evidence of collusion uh, of the campaign, and it's very much in the public record.
1: Adam Schiff said that there was damning evidence of collusion, and he said it was worse than Watergate. I could
3: certainly say with confidence that there is significant evidence of collusion uh, between the campaign and Russia. So you have seen direct evidence of collusion? Uh, I don't want to go into specifics, but I will say that there is evidence that is not circumstantial. I can't go into the particulars, but there is more than circumstantial evidence. I've certainly, certainly said that there's ample evidence of collusion. I've never used the word treason. There's an effort to discredit Christopher Steele rather than looking into how many of the allegations he wrote about were true
0: guy's a slime. And, and I called him a McCarthyite, and some right-wingers uh, say, well, McCarthy was right. McCarthy was a reckless drunk who actually gave a bad name to the anti-communist movement. J. Edgar Hoover did a lot to clean out the communists, but, uh, but, and, and he didn't like McCarthy because he was so reckless. Schiff is a McCarthyite. He lies. He lies, and he says tells you things about things that, as McCarthy points out, we can't see. So the press lies. Well, why do they lie? Why do they lie? They lie because they want to change the natural laws. Uh, they want to tell us that if we just give up our freedom, they're going to make us a perfect world. They want to tell us that if we just get rid of this capitalism, this evil capitalism, everything is going to be great. We're all going to be equal. They want to tell us if we just give up our gender roles and our families, we're going to take away, uh, your, we're going to take care of your kids. We're going to do so much better job because we're going to tell them they're girls when they're boys. We're going to. Tell, you know, they, they tell us all these things, and because these things are not true— and because because they believe that matter is empty of meaning, because they believe that matter has no internal meaning, they think that all the the natural truths are just narratives. This is what Yuval Harari says. They're just. Fictions, but this is what all the postmodernists and all the structuralists and all the deconstructionists say: they are just narratives. These are grand narratives that have been imposed on people. You know, capitalism isn't better than socialism; it's just a narrative. Uh, marriage isn't better uh, than promiscuity; that's just a narrative. We just make these things up. The Bible is just a narrative. So, if you change the narrative, which we call lying, if you change the narrative, you will change the truth. But the truth remains, and the truth ultimately remains in the misery of women that I I think women have just grown more and more miserable over the last 30 years with the exception of a small contingent of very elite women who have benefited from these things. And by the way, I don't want to take any choices away from women. I'm just— commenting on the choices women have made and have been told to make. Uh, you know, they've told us that uh, our health care is going to get better, our health care has gotten worse. In England, where they have, rever- we're all reverting to the 70s, but the English 70s were much worse, the British 70s were much worse than ours. Their Their lifestyle, their quality of life has just absolutely plummeted. All of this, all of this because of lies. And this is why it's so important to tell the truth. When they say to you, why do you care? Why are you making such a big deal? Why are you starting a culture war? It's because the truth is always, is always the thing that makes us free. And the truth is what they think. They think they can get around. They think they can change it by lying. It never, ever works. Last week I talked about how once respected institutes of higher learning like Stanford and USC are banning unspeakably racist and or sexist phrases like fieldwork, white paper, and you guys. Now, does this language reform help anybody? (laughs) No, but that's not the point. The purpose is for you to stop thinking, stop asking questions, and just go along with whatever your political leftist overlords have in store for you, no matter how ridiculous the premise. It's all very simple. The world wants to make you woke. But not Dennis Prager. He wants to make you wise. And the founder of PragerU is going to do just that with a never-before-seen series exclusively on Daily Wire Plus called The Master's Program. I'm sure you know we have a long-standing relationship with Dennis and PragerU. Dennis is one of the smartest people out there and has created tons of influential content like the famous five-minute videos. And The Master's Program is taking Forty years worth of wisdom and experience, and distilling it down to its essence. If you've ever wondered how the world turned into a clown show, Dennis has the answer. He covers topics such as is human nature basically good, the consequences of secularism, and more. The first two episodes of PragerU Masters Program are available to stream right now exclusively on Daily Wire Plus. So head to DailyWirePlus.com to become a member and watch PragerU Masters Program and more. That's Daily Wire Plus. Dot .com today. All right, we always love to have Megan Basham here. She is a reporter, a uh, cultural reporter for the Daily Wire. Does a great job. She's also on Morning Wire. If you're not listening to Morning Wire, you should. It is absolutely uh terrific. Uh Megan, it's good to see you. How are you doing?
4: I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Always love being here.
0: Yes, it's great to see you. And uh, we we have to talk about uh, Splash Mountain. I'm I'm, embar- I'm embarrassed to say that I've never been on Splash Mountain, uh but uh I know it's ridiculous. You don't like to get wet? But I don't know. I I, I like those I don't really like all those rides that much but I just I just want to know now they're closing this. This is one of this is one of the most popular rides they've ever had and they're closing it. Explain this to me.
4: Yeah, you know, it's (laughs) it seems to be another instance of Disney being reactive to a very small group of activists. And, uh, you know, there's a big question about how wise this is. So Disney has obviously been suffering financially in the last few financial quarters. Streaming revenues are down, uh, the studio revenues are down. And so the parks have really been kind of the one crown jewel. It's the backbone of Disney financially. It's what they've been able to point to and say, look, the parks are doing really well. And now suddenly there are signs that the parks are not doing so well. Um, You know, revenues are up there, but they're largely saying that's coming from jacked up prices. And they kind of started nickel and diming families saying, we want you to pay extra for the parades or for the fast passes that used to be Mm. complimentary. And at the same time, they've been restructuring a lot of things in reaction to activists. So to give you just a couple of examples already, if you didn't know, um, if you go on Pirates of the Caribbean, that ride's a little different now. We don't have the bride auction. And they made that change coincidentally in 2018 at the height of the Me Too movement, suddenly the bride auction was no longer acceptable. And they made some changes a couple of years ago to um, the Jungle Cruise. And that one hurts because my husband uh, was a Jungle Cruise skipper in college. And so he kind of hates to see the changes they made there. And so now um, you're just hearing a lot of negative reaction. A recent poll found that 68% of Disney fans who go to the park frequently say they feel that it has lost its magic. So looking at all of that, um, you have to go, okay, why are they making this decision to go ahead and change one of their most popular rides? And Splash Mountain is one of the most popular rides. It is inspired by Song of the South, a 1946 Disney movie that took place in the um, reconstruction era on a plantation in Georgia. So there was a big petition in 2020 to change that ride. Uh, the concern was that it was racist, that it played on racist stereotypes, and that petition drew about 21,000 signatures. And um, you know, I have to say, I reached out to a Disney podcaster, Skylar Schuler, and I want to give him big credit for talking to me because he was on the side of, look, this ride needs to be changed. He talked about it in 2020. He supported those efforts. And here's what he told me about why he felt like the ride needs to be changed.
2: Again, you you look at it from an IP standpoint, it's not, it's a classic ride as in it's been around for 30 years, uh, give or take, you know, it's not one of the, when you talk about these Disney attractions, you know, people go, oh, Walt wouldn't Walt Disney wouldn't want this change, but it's not one of the rides that Walt Disney was ever a part of. You know, he has that famous quote that, you know, the park will continue to change and grow. Are they erasing, you know, African-American culture? I mean, maybe that I mean, that's an argument you can make. But at the same time, now you're now you're actually giving you're shedding light to a African-American, you know, character. Like now she's at the forefront of her own attraction. Um, You know, it's that louisiana bayou culture is just so synonymous with african american culture that it just it just makes sense
0: you know can i just can i just say that i i i just want to add to what you said. I, I so respect that guy for coming on and making his point. You know, I I, I disagree with him. I tend to disagree with him, but I'm, I will argue and discuss things with anybody. And we have such a hard time getting left-wingers to come on here. Um, and he came on, earnestly said what he had to say, and I appreciate that. I just,
4: yeah, I do too. I And let yourself. me, I'll just yeah. I'll add, uh, some of the left-wing, and I don't know if Skyler would describe himself as left-wing, but he was certainly yeah. on the side of Yeah, we need to change this ride, but um, some of the podcasters I asked were not so gentlemanly. So I really appreciate
0: it. I I find that hard to believe. Yeah, uh, yeah. So
4: I I got some interesting responses, but um, but you know what's interesting to me is to his point. um, I'm a mom. I actually really like Tiana, the Princess and the Frog movie. She's the princess in that movie. Um, I think it has a great storyline as far as. Don't, uh, don't just wish upon a star, but you got to work for your dreams. And so, you know, as the mom, my kids get annoyed. I'm like, there, there, that's a good theme. Listen to that. <laughs> but I did wonder that movie did not do that well. And you have to wonder, okay, was it because they marketed it in this take your medicine way we're, we're giving you this black princess and you're going to like it. And so I look at that and is that going to be the response to splash mountain now? What, what, should be, you know, I'm not technically super opposed to making some changes or updates, but could you give this princess her own ride in a different way rather than making it um, something of a social justice statement? So on that side, another group of uh, Disney fans started their own petition. And their petition was let's save Splash Mountain. They love the Br'er Rabbit, the 'er, Br'er Uncle Remus stories. They wanted that to continue. And um, so they started this petition. And this is what's interesting. Their petition gained 100,000 signatures mm. compared to only 20,000 signatures on the other side. So guess who won? <laughs> 20,000 over the 100,000. Uh, and I talked to the guy who started the petition to save Splash Mountain. And, um, and I wanted to play a little bit of him as well because... I think there's this perception that these guys just don't want change. They just don't want things to be different. And we want things old fashioned. And talking to Eric Tebolt who started this petition, I was really struck by the depth of thought that he put into it and his passion for these stories. And here's just a little bit of what he told me.
2: It seems that Disney is willing to do anything except make actual african stories you know like if they if they really wanted to you know like make a big deal about it and do those kinds of things then they would create actual stories based off of african mythology there's african princess stories there's african you know there's all those kinds of things that they could do but they choose not to instead they take a traditional danish story they race-swabbed the character, they changed the location to New Orleans, and that's the movie that they release. And then that film, because it did so poorly, is part of the reason why Disney moved away from 2D animation and went to doing 3D animation. Because in that exact same year, Tangled came out and made four times what Princess and the Frog did.
0: Hmm. You know, that's that's a really interesting point because, you know, I I really like the... The Br'er Rabbit stories, uh, the Joel Chandler Harris stories. And the thing about Harris, you know, is he was... He was a guy who actually, uh, before the Civil War, worked on a plantation, and he was a lower-class white guy, so he used to feel more comfortable with the slaves. (laughs) So he would go into the slave quarters and spend hours and hours with them listening to the stories they told him, and then he wrote them in in dialect. And and I understand, you know, I I actually do understand how, from a modern sensibility, you hear that dialect. uh, It was used to make fun of black people in the old days. It was used to basically, uh, uh, you know, stereotype any black character in a show. Uh, But at the same time, it probably was something close to what he was uh, was listening to. And, you know, it's like C.S. Lewis said, if you don't want to be startled, you shouldn't read old books. The the Brer Rabbit stories are hilariously good stories. I mean, they're just incredibly entertaining stories. So that Harris was actually kind of acting like the Brothers Grimm uh, when they went through Germany and interviewed all these housewives who were making up the classic fairy tales you know so you say well uh there were men in these and they were stealing women's stories but no you know they were preserving uh this incredible wealth of motherhood that was telling these wild you know stories that have since fed disney you know uh, the disney corporation ever since and so this is really in keeping with with what disney does and just just on this on this one point, I understand the discomfort with the accents and all that stuff, but it only is—it's only a discomfort which could be gotten rid of through education, because I think these are important stories that came out naturally out of this uh, out of this culture that was being created against all odds, against all American odds.
4: Well, and the fact that you had so many children that were inspired by these stories and that yeah. for generations loved them, and I also look at—you're also erasing part of Black entertainment history. You're erasing. Um, James Baskett, who was the first Black American male to win an Academy Award. Um, he won an Academy Award for Zippity-Doo-Dah, I think it was. And yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, And they they aren't just erasing um, Song of the South. They're also taking the songs away. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but they will not play Zippity-Doo-Dah anymore at the, at the park. Used to be when you walk in, you'd hear that playing. So they're not doing that anymore. Um, and it does feel like you're losing something that um, so many generations of families loved. I mean, that is the iconic Disney song right up there with, um, you know, the Mary Poppins songs. So, so, so
0: I, re- I also read that they won't say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls anymore because. Of, correct. What?
4: Right. And so all of these things, it feels like, you know, it's fair. So I talked to some Disney insiders and I said, how much do you feel like this is a risk? Um, and these are some highly placed people. And the, what they tell me is this, it's hard to quantify. How do we know? How do And these are, were some people who are not necessarily for what's been happening. Mm. But what they told me is it is very hard to quantify. You can't point to something and go, okay, um, that last uh, Toy Story movie that really championed um, a lesbian kiss, we don't know for sure that it didn't do well because of that. Which, okay, because we don't know what would have happened if we'd released that movie without it. So, you know, the question is, how do you draw a straight line and you don't? But what you know is that Disney is suffering. You can see that more people don't want these changes than do. So you go, why are they doing it? Um, And I asked that question to some of these folks. And the answer was, they are true believers. That's why. So the question was, Mm. okay, at the top. The guy that was ousted, Bob Chapik, who lost his job over, he was the former CEO, you know, had a pretty brief tenure, who wanted to turn some things around, but he wasn't really ideologically committed either way, just did not face down the activists within the company. And that includes some you know, very highly placed activists. And now Bob Iger is back and he is one of the guys who is a true believer. He is a true leftist. And I have heard there are people like that on the board as well. Mm -hmm. And I talked to um, Nathan Estruth, who is not at Disney, but so he would talk to me on the record because all the Disney guys, you know, they're like, I will tell you, but you cannot quote me. (laughs) Um, And, you know, he's a longtime executive with Procter & Gamble, so a very large Fortune 500 company. And he was pointing out, look, we're based in Cincinnati. So we're not trying to, we, we will engage this social activism when we have to, but you, companies like that will try to avoid it as much as possible. He thinks that is not the case with Disney and talked a little bit about these being celebrity CEOs. This is what he said.
5: Honestly, I think, you know, they are in a celebrity woke mode as C-suite leaders and, and the board in that they, they do glory in this to some degree. So until it really hurts them, or as we saw with, you know, CHAPIC being fired, or they're removed, right, that, that, that I think is the answer. So they, rather than kind of saying, okay, maybe we made a mistake here, or we're going to step back and we're going to make sure we serve all customers and make sure all of our employees are respected and allowed to bring truly you know their their religious beliefs and their rights of conscience to work. Um, we're gonna fire the CEO instead. We're gonna move around the deck chairs and say, oh, it was all about Bob Chapic. But at the end of the day we know it wasn't, right because Susan Arnold, who was chairman while Bob Chapic was CEO, had been on the board for 10 years, right She was chairman during the most tumultuous, kind of year from December of 21 to December of 22, Um, yet there wasn't a change in policy. Now you have Bob Iger stepping in and saying, well, I wish that hadn't happened. Well, I bet he does. But the fact of the matter is, he's not saying we're going to change the policy.
0: Wow. You know, uh, Megan, I got to stop here, but it, it, this is in keeping. You know, all the time I was working in Hollywood, people would say to me, all Hollywood cares about is money. It's just not true. These ideologies, these ideologies confer tremendous amount of prestige, uh, success within the industry, uh, awards, dates, uh, all kinds of things that they, they want uh, as well as money. So that's, that's why you can have a 20,000 uh, signature petition and get more uh, than 100,000. Petition against you know it's just just an amazing story. Well done, well covered story, Megan. Uh, Megan Thank Basham, you. you can read her uh, with a reader's pass on Daily Wire. Hear her on Morning Wire. It is great to see you. We'll talk to you again uh, next month.
4: Sounds good. Thanks, Andrew.
0: Thanks very much. All right, some of us, some of us are careening toward the Clavenless week because we are not subscribers we're just kind of riding, just hanging on for the ride uh, but just to show you that we you know we, we like you anyway, we're going to solve all your problems with the mailbag
2: Woo! Did Andrew Claven do it? Who? He has a show on your network. He's the bald guy. He has a show. I thought that guy was in
5: HR. I've been talking to him about all my problems.) Yeah! <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. I don't even want to know what that was. From Emily, uh, dear Mr. KLAVAN, there are no E's in Clavin. Around this time last year, my husband whispered rock auto in my ear. Now we have a beautiful baby girl. It works every time. Uh, my heart's desire is to be home with my baby, be a homemaker and homeschooler along with my future children. I believe having a mom at home gives kids so much, and I believe God is calling me to serve my family in this way. However, To help pay off our mortgage, I am going back to work next month and won't be able to quit until next year. We believe that the financial freedom of being completely debt-free will be worth it for our future, but the decision is still so hard since we technically could make it work with me quitting now. If I stay at home now, though we will have a, a very tight budget for another 10 years instead of through next year, how can I look at this next 18 months without dread? Every time she smiles at me, my heart breaks that I won't be home with her. Is this just the mom guilt that everyone talks about? The mom guilt is called, we also call that your conscience. Um, n- well, all right, let me, let me speak carefully here. Uh, I think you should stay home. I think you should stay home. I think you should discuss this with your husband. I'm not a fin- financial advisor, okay? I know that there are some people who think that being debt-free is the all in all, but I, I don't believe a mortgage is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I believe a mortgage can actually be a good thing. Um, So that's something you want to discuss with a financial advisor. And by a financial advisor, I don't mean your Uncle Fred. I mean an objective person. And I don't mean some guy on the radio. I mean an objective person who can look at your uh, bank accounts and figure out whether this is actually going to help you or not. Uh, Even if it's going to help you, uh, if you say God is telling you to stay home, with your baby. Uh, your heart is telling you to stay home with your baby. Your baby is telling you to stay home with your baby. Stay home with your baby, you know? I mean, it's worth any amount of money. Uh, that's that, This is obviously, I can only give you my opinion on this. I'm the person you ask. Uh, I, I think this idea that guilt, um, is just a, a thing we feel because of social constructs is, is nonsense. Uh, guilt is something we feel when we're doing something wrong. You can have too much guilt. You can have misdirected guilt. Uh, but I don't think th- this is so embedded in human nature, uh, that babies need their moms, that moms want to be with their babies is so embedded in our human nature that I do think it is a thing of our, cre- part of our creation. And I, I'm not, convinced that getting rid of your mortgage is actually going to improve your life as much as you think it is. Um, you know, if, if if your mortgage, well, again, I'm not a financial, uh, uh, financial guy. So I think that's something you should get from a financial guy. But there are mortgages. There are ways to refinance. So you're paying a lot less. Uh, but anyway, that's something you should talk with somebody about. You should not simply go back to work when you all, everything inside yourself is telling you not to do it. Uh, there's a reason that we have feelings like that. Um, from Max, I've enjoyed your show for years. I know you converted from Judaism, so you took a slightly different approach to the dilemma I am facing right now. I'm a reformed Jew, not too religious, in a long-term relationship with a girl who was raised in a strong Christian home, attended a Christian high school. We are at the point of our relationship uh, where it's marriage or nothing, and she wants to have a Christian focused family. We have been together for almost three years. We grow happier every day. We are together. Uh, We never fight and are aligned on everything but this subject because I want my children to at least attend the high holidays and celebrate Passover dinner. I am writing to you to learn your thoughts on interfaith marriage, children, and possibly get some ideas on how to navigate my situation. Well, everybody's different. I mean, I I think the, the best situation is that everybody's on the same you know, uh, schedule, that everybody's going to the same church, uh, that everybody has the same religion. And that, I think that's the best thing you can have. Uh, but of course, the second best thing you can have is uh, tolerance and acceptance of, of one another and love for one another and patience with one another. But it's also very personal. In the case that you're describing, you are descri- you are what is called a cultural Jew. And that's how I was raised to. One of the reasons I, I was not charmed by judaism is because we didn't talk about god at all it was just a cultural uh thing that my father was wedded to and i thought well why would you do that i don't un- even understand that why would you worship uh, if you don't believe in in god that was my particular thing but but it's because in this case your wife is such a committed christian uh and let's not forget that jesus was a Jew. Uh, Maybe you could think about something like this. Uh, maybe you go to church, the children go to church. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go, but they go to church, they go to uh, you know um, to Sunday school, and they learn about Christianity. But you honor uh, your Jewish heritage, because that's really what you're talking about. Now if, if I'm wrong, I'm sorry, this is what I'm getting out of your letter, but you honor your Jewish heritage. Heiraters, there's no reason not to have Passover. The Last Supper was a Passover. Jesus uh, instituted communion at the Passover. Uh, he celebrated Passover. There's no reason you can't celebrate Passover. There's no reason you can't celebrate uh, s- certain uh, Jewish high holy days, and explain that this is your culture. This is where you come from, and allow your wife to teach your children the Christian God. And I don't say that because I'm a Jew who became a, a Christian. That's not why I'm saying. It. I'm saying it because of your particular uh, situation is that you're not that religious. Uh, your uh, your attachment to your Judaism is largely cultural. You can teach that without getting in the way of your wife teaching them the vision of God that is so important to her and so uh, intrinsic in her in her way of life and her way of looking at things. Just a suggestion. Obviously, you're going to have to solve it yourself, each person to his own. Uh, but the the best situation is where you're all on the same page. But the second best situation is where uh, you just treat each other with love and respect and, and worship God in your own ways. Um From Nicholas, longtime listener and fan. I was recently given a DW Plus membership by my lovely fiancé, who's also a big fan. Uh, I recently got engaged to my high school sweetheart. We're both still quite young and have budding careers in engineering and nursing, respectively. We both understand the importance of finishing our education, pursuing what we've been working towards in school. But we both have a goal one day of growing our family together. We're both Christians and have been preparing our hearts and minds to embody the sacrificial love that will be needed. But I have been personal. I've seen personally how, when individuals make personal sacrifices, resentment can sometimes fester towards their spouse. With that in mind, what advice would you give us regarding how to best prepare for marriage and the reality that we will both have to sacrifice parts of our career for one another and our future family? Um, I'm not sure try to read this. Actually, I'm not sure what you're saying. Uh, the standard, old-fashioned way, which I still think is the best way, is for the husband uh, to work uh, extra hard to support his wife as she takes care. of Of the children. Uh, Nursing is something that can be done part-time. In my my experience, and this is not true of every single person, all generalities, of course, have exceptions, but in my experience, it is the husband who resents being taken away from work, and it is the wife who ultimately regrets being taken away from her children. That that is my experience, that you make these decisions under the mantle of feminism, which I think is a misguided philosophy, which I said elevates uh, male values over female values. Um, I'm for the feminism that gives everybody choices, but I think the the philosophical feminism that elevates uh, male values over female values is deeply, deeply in error and has made women miserable. Uh, Most women are like taking care of their children, and they do want some other occupations in there, but they like them so that they don't take them away. They don't make their every moment of their life uh, packed with um, business. If you can sit down with your wife and talk about this uh, and talk about what they really want, because if you sacrifice your career, you will be bitter and resentful. Men are bitter and resentful when they lose parts of their career. Uh, what you want to do is you want to do your career uh, fully, but also make time in your life to be home with your children and take care of your home life and your relationship as well. That is what a man does with his life. Um, women have to make more choices because they have the children and because they care very. They're very attached to children when they're little, and the children are very attached to them. So I would I would question all your values here. Uh, sit down with your fiance and discuss whether, how, what that's gonna look like when you have a family. I do it now uh, before you get married because you may be on totally different places and don't kid yourself about it. Don't lie to yourself about it. Don't tell yourself that you're gonna sacrifice your career as an engineer and not care because I think you will. And find out from her if she's going to f- how she's gonna feel because a lot of women think they wanna work and then that baby shows up and uh, not at all. I mean, I've seen that a million times. So everybody's individual. You may be an exception to the rule. I'm simply telling you what I've seen over time And you definitely want to sit down and talk about that in an honest way. If you are not a subscriber, you are now being plunged into the Clavenless weekend week. And I know what you're saying. How can I not have that happen? You go to slash subscribe. Uh, use code CLAVEN at checkout when you become a member, and you will get two months free on all annual plans. That's K L A V A N. There are no E's in CLAVEN, you may have heard. Uh, but for the rest of you, uh, come on to the members' block, and only then will you be plunged uh, into despair and darkness.